You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. I know there's a number of you in here who know exactly what I'm talking about. The names got posted on that bulletin board right outside the coach's office. And you went over there to see if you made the team only to find that your name wasn't on that list. Or maybe for you, you went out and you auditioned for the class play or the school musical and you didn't get a part. In fact, you didn't even get cast as one of the townspeople. And then somebody came to you and they instead made a big deal about how important it was to be part of the stage crew. And you kind of rolled your eyes. Or for every guy in here who's ever asked a girl out on a date, you know the risk that you run. And if you don't know that risk, you're probably not old enough to ask a girl out yet. Or there's bigger problems that you have. I'll just say, anyway. Uh, It's just, it's funny in my head, and then I say it, and I think, why did you do that? You wonder about that, that young lady. You wonder if in her mind, she'll think you're good enough to go out with her. And when she agrees to go out with you, it's all good. But if she shuts you down in the process, it's really, really bad. All of these scenarios can be difficult because what they do is they put us in a position where we're compared with other people. And comparison is fine. It's part of life. And it's fine if you come out on top. You come out as the one that gets chosen. But it's not good when we're the one not getting picked. When we're the one who is deemed not good enough for some reason. Years ago, I met a guy by the name of Jim. Jim was new to the church where I worked, and he had only been a Christian really a short time. He was sharing with me about the very first time that he actually came to worship there and how stressed out he was about it. I mean, really paralyzing stress. And I said, why why are you so stressed out? And he said, well, he explained to me that he'd done a lot of things wrong in his life, things that were illegal, things that were immoral. He'd, even, he'd done so many sins, and some of them were so significant, at least in his perception. Compared to everybody else, Jim looked at himself and saw that, you know, they were here and he was here. And, and after, you know, thinking that for so long, he just didn't feel like he belonged in a place like that. He said to me, I honestly thought that if I walked into the church building that there was a very good possibility that the roof would collapse in on me. And he really believed it. I thought it was strange, but the more I talked to him, the more I understood. He knew he was a sinner, and in his mind, he believed he had no business being in a holy place like a church building. He'd looked around, and he would see all these people, and there were a lot of people there that day. And in his perspective, these people were very spiritual, at least compared to him. Oh, sure, some of them had issues, but most of them had it all together spiritually, at least Jim thought. And he didn't think he was the least bit worthy to be there. From his perspective, he'd done so many things wrong that he ended up believing that it's highly possible that even God wouldn't want anything to do with him. Have you ever felt 
unworthy spiritually? Have you ever had that perspective that you didn't measure up? That somehow there was this standard, and even if God graded on a curve, you wouldn't make it? Maybe like Jim, you once walked into a worship service similar to this, wondering if God was going to strike you down. And maybe you're feeling that way today. I want to give you a piece of reality that I think may be a breath of encouragement to you. That is this. Everyone struggles with sin. Everyone. You have never shaken hands or locked eyes with someone who doesn't struggle with sin. The theme verse for this series is Romans 3.23. It's a simple verse. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There are none of us that measure up on our own merits. None of us. So if you're a sinner here today, you're not alone. Just look around. We're going to use John the 8th chapter this morning as a a place where we're going to study. And uh, if you have your Bible or you you want to open it on your phone or tablet, uh, go ahead and turn to 8th. John 8, we'll start at the beginning of the chapter. We're going to look at three, what I call, important truths about sin that all of us need to understand. This is not exhaustive. It's just what comes from this text. I think it's pretty relevant for us and this idea that there are no perfect people. In John the 8th chapter, Jesus has an encounter with a woman who is... One of the, in one of the most vulnerable situations that anyone could find themselves in because of their sin. We pick up the story in verse 2. It says, At dawn, he, that's Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. This wasn't uncommon for Jesus to go into the temple and draw a crowd and begin teaching. But all of a sudden there's this commotion. We read about, John goes on in verses 3 and 4, he says, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. That's amazing, really truthfully. We'll get to that in just a minute. But I want to give you a bit of background. It says that the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought this woman in before Jesus. Now the Pharisees were the religious elites. These were the spiritual superstars. If the Jews had an all-star, all-star team, spiritually speaking, it would be these guys. I mean, they just lived by the law and, and they, they, were, they were very, very righteous. And then you had these uh, teachers of the law. The teachers of the law are often referred to as scribes. Now that's kind of a that kind of lessens the term, the term. The truth is, these scribes, these teachers of the law, were a class of Jews that were professional in their knowledge of the Old Testament. These guys really knew the ins and outs of the Old Testament. They were frequently called in to make legal judgments in the community. And they're, they're kind of smugly challenging Jesus in this story to perform in this area where they were considered to have an advantage, where they were considered to be the experts. These religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, they seem excited about this situation. This woman's horribly, horribly embarrassed, and yet they're kind of giddy about it. They had this evidence against this woman. She was actually caught in the very act of adultery. This brings us to the first truth 
about sin that I want us to understand, and that is this. Public sin causes deep shame. All sin causes shame, and it's in my heart or it's in my mind, but if you don't know about it, it's not as much shame. But the more people who know about my sin, the more troubling it becomes, the more shame-driven it becomes. So when something is made public, it's devastating. Public sin causes deep shame. Imagine how ashamed and humiliated this woman must have felt. She's probably barely covered by the sheet that she grabbed as she was dragged out of the Motel 6. She was having an affair that very few people knew about. And now everybody, almost everybody in this town knows about it. And where's the guy, by the way? It says she was caught in the act, but this guy is nowhere to be found. It's interesting. Well, John goes on in verses 5 and 6, and he says, In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? And then John, in verse 6, gives us this little editorial comment from the author. He says, They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. They felt like they had Jesus on the horns of a dilemma. The law required that adulterers were to be put to death. And they were trying to get Jesus to say that, that the law, that the law doesn't matter here. It doesn't apply here for some reason. And that would discredit him as this highly respected rabbi. Or he could go the other direction and, and agree with them that she must be executed. And then that would damage his reputation as a man of the people. You see, he'd been preaching this message with the themes of love and forgiveness and mercy. And this woman who's standing before him is covered in shame. And then to make matters worse, we learn that she's being used to try to trap Jesus. This whole thing was a setup. It's still sin. I mean, she's clearly guilty of breaking the Old Testament law. But it's even more humiliating to be used like this. She's just a pawn in the game that the scribes and Pharisees are playing. And they say in verse 3, John writes, they made her stand before the group. It's easy for religious people to point out the sins of others because they give this appearance that they'd never commit adultery. And that's what these guys were doing. They're in their regal robes looking at this poor woman And they're acting as though they are so far above the horrible acts that she's committed. But we know, we know that that's not true. In fact, some of of the most religious people down through history have been the ones who have been guilty of some of the most heinous of sins. It's interesting how selective some religious folks can get. See, this woman was facing execution... And yet the guy she was with somehow was allowed to slip out the back door of the Motel 6. Where is he? He's guilty just as she was. Then something happens in the story. Jesus, it says, he stoops down and he starts to write on the ground with his finger, just in the dirt there. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they keep demanding an answer from him. They want to know what should happen to this woman. Come on, Rabbi, what is the answer What should happen to this woman? And then Jesus stands up, and it's as if he says, fine, if you want my answer, here's my answer. 
Look what he says in verse 7. Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Let any one of you, if you're perfect, you go ahead and start firing. And then it says he kneels down again and he begins to write on the ground some more. This brings us to the second truth that we want to understand about sin. Everyone must face their own sin. At some point in your life, every single one of us will have to face our own sin. And for some of us, it won't be just one time. There will be, there'll be periods of time along the course of our life where we're, where we're snapped back into reality and we go, hey, I've got to focus on this again. Or I've got to focus on another area of my life that seems to be out of sync. Look what he says in verse 9. As these accusers start to focus on their own sin, it says, At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Many scholars have wondered down through the ages, what was Jesus writing in the dirt? Truth is, we don't really know for sure. Some think maybe he was writing certain sins and then making eye contact with somebody. We don't have any indication that that was true. Or maybe he was writing the names of women that this woman's accusers had had affairs with. That would have been interesting, wouldn't it? Whatever the case is, we don't know what he was writing. But we do know one thing. That everyone there who had a stone prepared to stone this woman to death had something in common with her. Every one of them was a sinner. They'd all broken the Mosaic law. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, all of us. And fall short of the glory of God. And it was true in that moment as as it is true today. All of these accusers had broken Moses' law. That's true for every one of us. Not just them, but you and me as well. We all have that moment of bad judgment. Or maybe it's full-blown rebellion. Or maybe it's just a time when we're totally self-serving. It's in moments like those that we decide that this is what I want. Even if it's wrong, I'm going to go for it. And you're going to follow your heart. You're going to go with what your feelings feel like, what your gut says. Listen to what Jeremiah 17, 9 says. Is the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Jeremiah is cautioning us to be very, very, very aware of how fickle our heart can be. Don't follow your feelings. Don't follow your heart. It'll deceive you if you're not careful We know we should always do the right thing. I mean, most of us know that there's never a wrong time to do the right thing. And yet sometimes we follow our heart. We go with our gut, our feelings, and it leads us in the direction of sin. John makes an interesting distinction here. He writes that the older men leave first, probably because they were more mature Jesus had made his point, and it resonated with them. They knew they weren't perfect. They knew they weren't without sin. And they started to look at this woman through their own sin. And so they start to think, maybe, just maybe, this rabbi is going to start calling out names and announcing their sins. And so they slowly slip away. 
They don't want to draw any more attention to this insightful rabbi than necessary. And then the others start to drop the stones that they're holding, and, and they walk away as well. And then, finally, the only ones left are the young guys. You know, they're the last ones to get it, right? They finally realize they probably shouldn't be here either. And verse 9 says, only Jesus was left with this woman still standing there. She hasn't moved. She may not know it, but in this moment, the safest place to be is when you, it's just you and Jesus. This is a safe place for her. And she's not sure what's going to happen next, but she's safe right there in Jesus' presence. Verse 10 says, Jesus straightened up and he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? It's as if Jesus is saying, I know your accusers were here just a minute. I was riding on the ground just playing tic-tac-toe with myself. And then I looked up and there's nobody here. Where are your accusers gone? Is there no one here who's going to hold a charge against you? And she says, no one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. I find this to be one of the most incredible moments in, in Scripture. Because what you have here is Jesus saying, neither do I condemn you. He's the only one on the planet who ever inhabited the planet who had no sin. He's the only one who's ever been qualified to cast a stone at this woman. It just happens she lived while he was here. And yet he says, I choose not to do that. I'm not going to condemn you either. He chooses to not throw stones at this woman. That's what we call mercy. Somebody defined grace as what God chooses to give you when you don't deserve it. But mercy is when God holds back what you do deserve. This woman, by the Old Testament law, deserved to be executed. But that's not what she got that day. She got mercy. Jesus doesn't pretend to not know what she did. It's not like Jesus was looking the other direction going, we're just going to let this slide, right? It's not that he says it's okay or it's no big deal or everybody messes up, nobody's perfect, or far be it from me, I don't want to judge. It's not what Jesus is saying here. In fact, there's no judging that's necessary in this moment. She's clearly guilty. Remember, she was caught in the very act of adultery. She doesn't even try to defend herself in this story. There's no judgment that's necessary. You don't, it's not judgmental to recognize someone's sin. He's not being cruel here. Jesus isn't. Nor is he whitewashing over her sin. He totally recognizes what she had done. And he called it for what it was. It's sin. We have to do the same thing in our own lives. We need to take a look at our lives and Quit pretending that that's not a big deal. Maybe it's not a big sin by the world's assessment, but it's still sin. And we should do something about it. Jesus says to her, go now and leave your life of sin. 
It's not that you're going to get in on your merits. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying there's a better life for you. You don't have to live this way. Stop sinning. Change the direction of your life. You have a different future ahead of you. In fact, for some of you, this may be the very message that you need to hear today. Jesus can give you a different future. He can give you a different direction for your life. That's why this series that we're doing, we titled No Perfect People. The theme is there in Romans 3.23, all of sin falls short of the glory of God. The truth is there's no such thing as a perfect person with the exception of Jesus. All the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, that was pretty significant for their day. And yet they still sinned. All of us, we all have a debt that we owe because of sin. We all do, which means all of us need a Savior. Now, there are consequences that come with our sin. Some of you may commit certain sins like my friend Jim did, and that may have serious consequences to them. And you have to deal with those consequences. But the reality is, is that if you feel like you're doing pretty good because you just got little sins over here, not like big sins like Jim did, the truth of the matter is you're deceived. Because sin separates us from God. You need a Savior just as much as Jim did. Just as much as Jim did. This woman was humiliated. She was ashamed. But Jesus had a different perspective for her. Listen, he knew that it wouldn't be long before he would be beaten and crucified for this woman. He knew Soon, he would be spit on and punched in the face for the sin that she had committed just an hour or so earlier at the Motel 6. He knew he would be stripped naked, not because of his sin, but because of her sins. He knew all of this was yet to come, and yet when he looked at this woman, he had love and compassion for her. And he looks at you the same way. Some of you are thinking, you know, when I hear this story... You know, I, I know I got sin in my life, but I'm kind of like over here. I'm not, I didn't, I haven't done that, you know, what that woman did. And some of you are thinking, I can identify with her. And then there are some who are probably thinking the truth is I've done a whole lot worse than she did. Amen. Yeah. The reality is Jesus went through all of that. Wherever you might find yourself in this discussion of sin, He went through all of that for your sins, just as he did for hers. And no matter what you've done, he will forgive you if you'll accept him. Jesus looked at this woman, and he said, some of the most powerful words we'll read in Scripture, neither do I condemn you. Go go now and leave your life of sin. Which brings us to the third truth, and that is Jesus gives a new future. Jesus gives a new future. Listen to me when I say this. Your sin doesn't have to define you any longer. Some of you have been a Christian for a long time. You've been carrying this baggage from 20 or 30 years ago. It's time to cut it loose. Because Jesus has long since forgiven it. You continue to define yourself by it. It's time to stop. This woman leaves this encounter with Jesus... And he's giving her a new future. One that says, you're not an adulterer. You're forgiven. He says, go and sin no more. 
Now, it's important that you don't continue to sin so that grace might increase. Paul talks about that in Romans. We don't want to do that. For this woman, Jesus' forgiveness was her motive to live differently in the future. She had a second chance. And every one of us has the possibility, the potential to have that second chance. Everyone in this story was confronted by their sins. This woman, it was clear. I mean, her sin was made public, and she had to face it. And every one of her accusers was also confronted with their sin when Jesus confronts them with, if anyone is without sin, be the first to throw a stone. They faced their own sin in that moment. At that point, it was tough to accuse her when they're looking through the lens of their own sins. But the accusers, they just slip away, not dealing with what they had done not dealing with their sins. Yet this woman left this encounter with Jesus, her sins being forgiven, with a brand new future ahead of her. Go and sin no more. Jesus believed she could be better than what she was at that moment because he knew he could fix what was broken inside of her. Listen, God loves people. He loves all kinds of people. Remember that little song, Red and Yellow, Black and White? They are precious in His sight. It talks about the love that God has for all mankind. All mankind. But here's the thing. He loves even perfect, imperfect people. And the irony to me is that we're all imperfect. (laughs) Now some of us strut around here like we're not, right? I got it together, brother. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Right? The truth is, they're a wreck as well. All right. Listen to what Romans 5, 8 says. This gives you God's mindset regarding imperfect people. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Because of the love of God, he gave us a new future. Even when we were in the midst of our sins, he died for us. When we're with Jesus... We can't cover up who we are or all the things that we've done. We're like this woman. There's no place to hide for her. There's no place for us to hide. And I think that that's actually a good thing. You see, because Jesus can change your future, but you have to first examine what's going wrong. You have to look at the sin and realize, this is not taking me where I need to go. Jesus will forgive you of your sins, and he'll give you a new life if you'll trust him, if you'll put your faith in him. You know, we don't know what happened to this woman after this uh, verse 11. We don't know what happened to her. I think most of us would hope that she turned the corner and started down a new path, the one that Jesus said, hey, here's a new future for her. And we hope that she went on to do incredible, remarkable things for the kingdom of God. We don't know. But I do know what happened to my friend Jim that I mentioned earlier in the message. The guy who feared that the roof would collapse in on him if he went into the church building. Jim trusted Jesus as his Savior, and, and God gave him a brand new future, fixed what was broken in him, and set him on a new path. And God did some amazing things in Jim's life. He experienced forgiveness and release from his past sin. 
And then this middle-aged man did something that kind of messed with the minds of a lot of his friends. He went, after a very successful career in real estate and business, he went directly to Bible college to study for the ministry. He started preaching at a little church, not very prestigious, just a little church in Ohio. And then something happened. A great church in our brotherhood, a historic church that was going through some difficult times, called and asked Jim to come and lead their church, and he did. And he started to lead it back to health. And during that time, a number of people accepted Jesus and grew to become fully devoted disciples of his. All because this sinner who felt totally unworthy decided to trust Jesus for a brand new future. And Jesus didn't disappoint. Do you know that could be true for you too? That could be your story. Oh, maybe it's not preaching at a church and maybe it's not going to Bible college. But it's, it could be changing the direction of your life to having a new future, a different trajectory, something that will change the, the eternal destiny of others in your sphere of influence. That could be you. Jesus looks at you and says, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. He's got a new future for you. This could be your story. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you for your grace that washes us white as snow through the blood of your son that was shed on the cross. God, we know that you had us in mind that you would wash our sins away when you were dying in that place. Hard for us to comprehend that or understand it, but we recognize today that it's true that because of your love, Jesus died. And we say thank you for that. Lord, there are people in this room today who need a new future. They need a different direction. They need you to come into their lives and speak truth to them saying, I don't condemn you anymore. Go and sin no more. Lord, I pray that that would happen today. Maybe for some, it's taking that very first step and letting Jesus come in and be the Lord and Savior of their life. Lord, I pray that they would take that step today. Maybe for others, it's recognizing today that they've been trying to do this in their own strength. And the truth is they need the power of your spirit at work in their lives to help them become overcomers, to actually walk the path of this new direction. I pray, God, you would fill them up with your spirit today. They would find new hope. Whatever the case, Lord, I pray that today would be the day they begin that new journey in the new direction and the new path that you have for them, the new future. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you've never taken that step of faith, we're going to sing time uh, over the course of the the remainder part of this service. And I'm going to be down front. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to tell you what Jesus means to me and the difference he can make in your life. Maybe you just need somebody to pray with you about something. Whatever the case is, I hope you'll come. Let's stand together and let's worship him.